Hello, my friend. Welcome to Series 7 of the Just Bloody Post-It podcast. This is a show for creative business owners, fantastic freelancers and big dreamers who are marketing their work online. I'm your host, Helen Perry. How are you? It's a lot. We're doing all the promoting of our thing or worrying about what we're not doing to promote our work and also being marketed to ourselves. Sold ideas and products and books that will make our business, so they say, better. I spent a lot of time during the break between these last two series questioning the marketing messages we get about marketing and asking myself, do I really need to be doing all of this? And do I need to be worrying about the things I'm not doing? Hello, SEO research. I mean you. Do we all need some mega business coach marketing guru figure guiding us through the next stage in our businesses? Brackets on a really super expensive programme. And I think I've been doing all of this long enough now to say, no, probably not. You're not missing a trick or as many tricks as you think you are. So much of marketing is positioned around lack or finding a problem or creating a problem you didn't even know you have. And I want to kick off this series talking about what you do not have to worry about friend of the show, the authentic business coach, George Cow, is back as our first guest of Series 7, and he's sharing eight marketing tips you can feel free to ignore. There's something that just takes my clients and students so much time, unnecessary time and energy and money, is that they're spending the first three months, six months, a year, sometimes longer, making their perfect website before they're ready to launch. Please don't do this. Or, you know, if you've done this, sorry um, that we didn't talk earlier. So true. But I'm, I'm jumping in before I'm, I really should. But, you know, it's also people almost use it as a little comfort blanket oh, thing. It's like, yeah. oh, my website's not quite ready yet. So I'm not good to go. I'm not I'm not good to launch. I'm not I'm not ready to tell people that I offer this yet because, you know, the website's taking a bit longer. That is and such it's a good like, point. It's not it's the worst excuse ever. So George has been working with solopreneurs and founders even longer than me for about 14 years. And he shared a post on Instagram over the summer called Marketing Tactics to Avoid and Alternatives to Try. And I liked it and wanted to hear more. So I emailed George and said, tell me three things that we can just forget about and we'll make a podcast about it. And he came back with a list of So we're doing them all in this show. We don't agree entirely on every point, George and I, although in essence, we're as one. Are you ready to not worry about these things anymore? George's first piece of marketing anti-advice, the tip you can feel free to ignore is niche down. The common idea is, well, if you don't niche yourself, if you're not real specific about this is who I am, this is what I do, and for this one little type of segment in the world, <laughs> you know, where there are three people in the world now uh, who who have this, this exact issue and this exact at uh, this exact age and in this exact location and time of life or whatever, if you don't niche yourself like that, if you don't get so specific, then nobody will remember you. People won't know what you do. Uh, and you know what? I've built a career of not niching myself and so have many of my clients. And so have the people, some of the people you look at on wherever it's Instagram or other social media channels, you will notice that they offer different things. So what I like to say is because, well, I, I believe that most of us here listening to this probably enjoy being uh, multi-passionate, shall we say, we have lots of interests. And, you know, I think that is um, sort of like the, the, the new way of being in the world where in the past, it's like you were only a, a, a blacksmith <laughs> you made uh, or you were only a, you know, you were only a farmer or something like that. Now it's like you can be all of the above and more. So what I like to say is don't niche yourself. You don't have to, but do niche your offers right so what that means is you know as as a multi-talented multi-passionate person you can make specific offers 
to different types of people and have them on your website. And your website can say, if you're this type of person, go here. If you're that type of person, go there. And when you're marketing a particular offer, that's what they're looking at. The, the, the people for whom it's not for will just scroll on by. It's no big deal, really. All of us scroll on by things that are not for us. And it doesn't mean we, we unfollow someone. We just, you know, we just really didn't even notice. And then when something is for us, we pay attention. We play close attention and say, Oh, what is this? You know, and then we look at it. We read it. And of course, on that page, it also will talk on your page that gives the offer that it's for that particular type of person. You will also have a little bio, probably, perhaps, or some background about yourself. The part of your background that's relevant for the offer is what you emphasize. So this is what I've been doing for years. I think this is what a lot of us have been doing for years. And so, no, you don't have to put yourself in the little box because you know it's not fulfilling as a way of personal branding, as a way of showing up in the world as your whole self. So I hope that I think helps. It's, oh, it just it resonates so, uh, everything that you've said resonates so much with me. I, it really actually, and I, it held me back for the first few years when I was trying to establish a business. And I've, I know that it holds other people back, people that I work with, the, this idea that I don't, I don't know what my niche is, who exactly, um, which tiny, like you say, which tiny corner of the market am I supposed to be, you know, trying to appeal to? And it's such a freeing idea that you can just, sort of be your own niche experiment he, what, what I have certainly <laughs> found is that people without me saying I am for this kind of person precisely a certain kind of person tends to want to work with me anyway if you're presenting yourself in a fairly authentic genuine way most of the time insofar as that relates to your work you will find that you create a, a comfortable niche of your own making anyway you must have found that to be true it's Absolutely. just like-minded individuals kind of know one another without being told exactly who they are and who you, you know what I mean don't you yeah I mean there are um you know you are one person with multiple interests and passions but there are 10 million interests in the world you don't have 10 million interests you have I don't know maybe you have 12 maybe you have five maybe you have 25 but it's it's still a limited set and there is always an underlying threat of connection among all the interests, I call it your energy signature. Uh, you can call it whatever you want. It's, you can call it your personality, your values, your, your, your history and your experience that brought you to this moment of having, there's a reason why you have these different interests. And guess what? Your ideal audience, your ideal client probably has many, if not all, of the same interests or at least those underlying threads of values, of um, view of the world, essentially, and of personality, of things that they, they genuinely enjoy. And so when you show up, as you've said, you know, your authentic self, your whole self, you kind of give off this energy signature that tends to draw the people who they, maybe they can't even exactly describe what it is about you. But something, the combination of all of your, you know, your personality and your, um, everything from even your, your, how you look to how you talk to how you express yourself to the interests that you decided to take on, all of that combined draws a certain type of person to you that will want to work with you. So, so show up. That's Isaac. Show up as much yourself, your whole self as possible. Yeah. And whatever you're talking about that on that day, whatever you're interested in this week, show up as honestly as, as you can in it. And I, you know, I, I really urge people to kind of get on board with the idea of not limiting yourself to just being uh, talking or, 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 or offering a service or a product that, that is super, super niche. If it, if you sense that might make you bored or might, might make you feel too constricted or you know if a year from now are you going to still be that interested in this thing or in a year from now might you actually want to be free to do something else without having everybody go well no I thought you offered this you know if you keep it a bit looser you have all that creative freedom in your work to just change track a little bit if you'd like to it's it should be completely up to you it's your business and I find that customers and audience members just come along for the ride like you say whatever you're doing might not be 
relevant to them at this moment in time but they'll happily come along with you and you know in six months you could be doing something that really is relevant to them and you know what you'll be much happier if you allow yourself that freedom and you know this is like this is George and I giving you permission to do so like permission to not pen yourself in and, and get stuck in a niche that you might not find fulfilling over time absolutely don't have to please everybody or the person who you know sometimes we think about uh you know whether it's a family member or a friend we know or a colleague or something it's like oh we have to be the same person to them forever no i mean at least not in our business right um and and the person when you show up as with your energy signature the person who really resonates with that like you said helen will come along for the ride and they're not going to take you up on everything you offer but they still sense a a deeper connection and they, they still they're still interested in following you and usually follows you for years and then sometimes sometimes like oh now you're offering something that i'm that actually is really relevant to me right now great then they'll take you up on it so great Number two, I, I hope I can hear sighs of relief up and down the land. You have to use a sales funnel. Is this marketing advice that we can ignore, George? Oh, well, not only can we ignore it, mo- many of us are disgusted by it when we are part of a sales funnel. And when we try to, to do it, and we realize, you know, and by the way, I have to say, for all of the advice that we're saying we can ignore, if somebody listening to this saying, no, it's really working well for me, then go for it. You know, it's, it's not, it, we're not saying you, you, you have to not do this, but we're saying that, you know, if it doesn't sit right with you, there might be a reason for you, your constitution. Why? And guess what? It doesn't sit right with, with us a lot of times too. So sales funnel for those, actually, Helen, you know, maybe, maybe for those who don't know what it is, how do you define it? I'm curious how you would describe it. Okay, this is where I think we get into nuance and, and you're right to uh, to push us to re- define what it is because some people will be listening thinking, I don't really know what you mean. A sales funnel, I think what we are recoiling from is the idea of an automated sales funnel, which is which will typically happen to you if you register your email of interest with somebody or you buy a product from somebody and then all of a sudden you find yourself receiving a what is apparently an automated stream of emails that's trying to funnel you towards making your first purchase with that person or or to make a further purchase. The emails will seem to come thick and fast. They're very unpersonalized. They'll feel a bit pushy. The, The obvious objective of them is to get you to spend money or commit to something when you don't really feel ready for it. So I think that's what we're talking about when we're talking about sales funnels in this context. But actually, Actually, my work does funnel people towards buying from me in the kind of more organic sense that certain type of content that might be the kind of content you'd post on Instagram and that's where people discover you and then if you want to get to know me better you can get my email or listen to my podcast and then you might get an email from me which will tell you about a specific product that you can buy that's also a funnel it's just not an automated one it's more of a customer journey maybe that you can go on with me um George help me out how would you how would you define all of the the, all the, the above I mean, what you said is, is right on. And, and because, like you said, everybody defines it in different ways. This is why it's important for us to, so what you and I are both saying you can ignore this advice is to design a specific pathway that's one size fits all, right? And, um, and the pathway it has the ulterior motive of like, well, by the, by step four, you should, or by step eight or whatever, this person will have bought this. You know, low price, you know, tripwire product. They have certain words that are, uh, come out of like the hunting world or something. Like you're, you're trying to bait a tripwire and catch, you know, a prey. And what are you then? The predator, right? Or they come out of the, the, the war metaphors, you know. It's like, that's not how we want to relate to our ideal client or customer, do we? I'm hoping we can, we can become, um, I like to think of authentic marketing as making friends at scale, making friends at scale, you know? And so it's like, 
Helen, if I'm trying to be your friend, do I have a designed funnel for you, Helen, to say, well, Helen's got to do this with me first, and then she'll do this with me, and then I'm going to try to persuade her to do that. How does that feel to you as a friend, Helen? Not good. Not great, George. And I think that giving people permission to do is say, um, is to, to realize that maybe you're not missing a trick. Like I think with a lot of this marketing messaging, you can think, oh gosh, if only I had sorted out my sales funnel, you know, my business would be doing so much better. And, you know, I've been a bit lazy because I haven't done it. And that's, I think that's what we're saying is not true. It could be that you might build a, a gentle automated, a uh, series of emails people might get when they very first sign up with you. And that could work really well for allowing people to get to know you better. And that would be a really nice use of automation. More aggressive structures where you feel that there's no escape other than to buy from someone that yeah. feel free to ignore that. The more that we are manipulating our audience into buying, the, the more I recoil from that. Uh, just like I said, you know, when we are making a friend, we, of course, just like, you know, we, we want, you know, you, when you first meet someone, you're like, oh my gosh, this person could be a friend. And then he's like, well, maybe we could go out for a meal at some point. Maybe they can even come and visit my home or visit my family, or we could do some hobby that I enjoy doing. You, you have those hopes with that person that you feel connected to. Is that a funnel? No. It's just like, and it's that an agenda? No, it's like, oh, you know, you're, you're hoping that, that you could become closer to them, that you could work together, you could play together, right? So the same thing as an ideal customer or an ideal audience member, you have hopes that perhaps they will read your email newsletter, that they'll, they'll, they'll subscribe on your YouTube channel or your, they'll, they'll follow you on Instagram. Perhaps they'll end up working, you know, trying out your first product. And if they really enjoy that, if it's a good fit, Maybe they'll become a client and work with you one-to-one or whatever. You have these hopes, but you're always filtering each other. You're always vetting each other. And so your content and your emails and things are for you to kind of gently vet each other rather than having this manipulative, um, designed, fun that you have to go step one, step two, step three, step four. And the thing is, most of us don't have enough data anyway to really design something that's a good fit for people. Some, some people do like a quiz, like, okay, take this quiz and, you know, see what kind of person you are. And then by, by the kind of results that the audience member has, they'll design a phone. funnel A goes to this type of personality. Funnel B goes to this type of result. And even so, I don't feel that must, so us small business owners have enough data about our people to have that kind of design. In fact, what we enjoy more is to have one-on-one interaction with people that through our intuition, we naturally suggest, oh, you might want to try this. You might want to try that. Oh, read this article, watch that video. Oh, I have this service that's actually really well designed for you. This is the kind of, you're the kind of person that I was designing this for. And that kind of intuitive interaction is much more, like you said, organic and much, it feels much better to us, heart-to-heart connection. So there you go. I mean, none of us, I certainly don't want anyone to feel like they were under pressure to buy something from me and therefore feel like, oh, I didn't really need this at the moment. Actually, I didn't really need to spend that money. Surely it's better to feel less of a sense of urgency to get people through the gate, to get the money out of their pocket to build as you say a customer a happy customer base of people who go around singing your praises over time and the way to do that is with a gentler form of marketing it doesn't mean that you have to be quiet it doesn't mean that you can't talk about what you're offering or how much it costs or remind people that it's available it's just about not inducing this kind of anxiousness in someone that might if I don't if I don't buy now then I you know my, my life won't be as good as it otherwise might be or I'm going to miss this last chance opportunity and it's never going to be coming around again and ah, and then you you have buyer's remorse no but who wants that who wants that to be the experience your customer is having with you and back to this analogy of friendship it's like when I have a movie that I really love and want to share with you. It's like, Helen, I, I really love this director. When you come and see this movie with me and the, 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 the director has done this and the movie's going to be like this and, or whatever experience that you want to bring a friend into, you are selling <laughs> to your friend out of a genuine sense of passion and a connection and understanding of what that friend also enjoys that you think you're going to share this with them because you think they're going to enjoy this too well guess what in marketing so-called 
when we make offers, we're doing the same thing. We have a certain intuition about our audience, having learned things from them, having interacted with them in a friendly, helpful way. And then we have a particular passion that we want to share, a particular service that we think genuinely is going to serve them. And so we share that with heart and just like with a friend, we don't say, Helen, if you don't come to this movie with me, you're not my friend anymore. <laughs> or you must come to this movie with me or your life is going to be worse. You know, it's like, no, no. Hey, if, if you're not, if you don't enjoy this type of genre, no worries. I've learned something more about you. And the next thing I have that I think you'll enjoy, I will make sure I tell you, you know. So this is how I, this is how we can be, become friendly with our audience and really enjoy so-called marketing. So number three marketing advice that you're free to ignore. You've got to do a lot of free calls. And by free calls, George, you mean a sales call or a free masterclass that comes ahead of perhaps a product launch, like a, a coaching program or a online course or something like that. George, do we have to offer people free calls? <laughs> well, I'll say this, you know, this came out of there's a book called the prosperous coach and it's a it's a it's a popular book especially amongst coaches or solopreneurs service providers and when i read that book i was like oh my gosh i really really disagree with the vibe and the advice in this book i made a whole video kind of tearing down what i didn't like about the book you can find it on uh youtube the prosperous coach uh book review and type my name in and you'll, you'll find it. But the idea that they came out of this, and it's interesting, you also connect this to group to, to group events, but I'll, let me just start with the one-to-one. -one. The idea is you're supposed to do a lot of free coaching calls or free service, like whatever service you provide, you provide it for free to a lot of people and then one of them <laughs> will feel indebted to you and want to do more with you. Goodness, and it is, it's that, it, it's, um, oh, I always have trouble um with this word reciprocity oh help me reciprocity. out it's, that's reciprocity reciprocity yes it's it's that it's it's like if you give things to people they we we human beings are very inclined to feel like we have to give back it's a very natural instinct and a lot of sales writing will sort of be saying if you keep giving eventually your audience is going to feel so compelled to give back that some of them will pay you money and that's sort of the basis of the thinking isn't it yeah, it's right, exactly. And it's, but what's happening here from, from your side as a service provider? Well, you're expecting that reciprocity, right? So it's like every call you go into, you're like, well, maybe this time, I, if I just try hard enough to give enough to this person, maybe this person will, will. And it's like, no, no, you know, the teaching is, no, no, you're supposed to give from the heart. You're supposed to just enjoy the connection. But really, it's like, if this is the strategy, well, you know, it's a numbers game. You just have to do enough of these calls. And the good part of it is that you are practicing your skill, perhaps. You know, you are practicing your coaching or whatever. And that's a good thing. I, I, I like that part of it. But what I don't like is this is the strategy. This is what we're supposed to do to get clients. And it's like, well, you, how much time have you spent doing this, right? Now, giving, giving as part of practice is good. But put that up front to say, hey, I'm, I'm in this coaching certification program and I'm doing these practice sessions and will you do this with me? The agenda is clear. It's transparent that, hey, you know what? I, I love your feedback. This is what I, I'm trying to get better at my skill. Would you give me feedback on this? Great. And sometimes, yes, the practice sessions will give you. But when you're just trying to like, when you're pretending this, no, 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 I, I just want to, I love doing this. Just please sign up for me. There's no strings attached. <laughs> you know, there are strings attached. So what I recommend instead and you, you said this about the um, the group sessions as well. What I recommend instead is I have something called the tapering strategy. And folks can basically go online and search the tapering strategy. And the idea is simply you do have two types of sessions. You do have some free sessions that you do on a regular basis that you do give away. And this is really volunteering to say, listen, and par partially practice, partial volunteering. But it's like, hey, free sessions, really no strings attached. But you have another type of session, which is the paid session. And imagine having those options on the same page and say, and tapering meaning, gradually you taper down the number of free sessions you have each week. You taper up the number of paid sessions you have. And of course, people say, well, gosh, I want one of your free sessions. Great. The next one is available in three weeks. But if you want a paid session, 
I have, I have one available in two days, you know, and they can make that choice as a result, right? And in term, in terms of a, a group situation when you're launching something, I actually do recommend free webinars with this modification. I call it free to, not call it, it's free to attend, but paid recording. Okay, so what that means is you are teaching a free webinar with the intention that it could be a paid product that you would be proud to sell later. So therefore, it's not one giant sales pitch, which is how so many master classes and, and free webinars become, right? You, you join, you're like, oh, I'm so excited to learn this. And maybe you do learn a, a, a thing or two, but the, but much of it is trying to persuade you into buying something larger. Buy the bigger program. Yeah, I have tried various iterations of this, a, a kind of a bit like the taper, not like tapering, but what I have definitely done is I do still give away because I find that for some people it's really helpful for them to be able to try try me before they buy me. So I do do the occasional free sessions, far less than I used to. I used to do a lot more, but they were in they were not connected to a specific program at all. Not not at all connected to a specific program. So it, because I found when I had offered um, taster sessions that were connected to a, a program I was going to be offering. Honestly, George, they didn't really work as a sales technique anyway. The people came along for the free stuff and they only wanted the free stuff. They didn't really want to sign up for an expensive course anyway. And I find that I can sell my product without doing a taster session. Occasionally, I've offered a session that is around a course that's coming up, but then I'm really clear this is me going online to explain to you what the course is about. It's an information session for somebody who might like to ask me questions or get a bit, but, it's, but it is not come and learn five ways to succeed on Instagram. And oh, lo and behold, I'm doing a six week course on Instagram. You know, it's I, 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 I never do that. I don't think it works. I've really hated it when I've done it with other people and I've never bought anything off the back of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it sometimes works, which is why people still do it and still teach it. But like you said, Helen, there are probably better ways of doing it. And when the agenda is clear, it's transparent to say, hey, I'm, I have this service. Would do you want to ask me any questions about it? You know, and, and or I have this program. Do you want to come and check out what the program's about? You know, then yes, it's very. And at the same time, just as you do, Helen, you're continually giving value anyway through your content tons of free value it's like people follow you because they are getting so much just from following you on instagram or listening to the podcast and those are a continued act of service to your audience and it's like of course then they're paying attention when you do have something to offer as well and likewise you, you know you've got a body of work on youtube george on your instagram and over time over the years that really adds up to people most of the people who are in your audience have a sense of what it would be like to work with you anyway and you don't need to stage these kind of events which i think have worked again on, i suppose on at scale with very very big marketers or big online marketers who have huge audiences and if you're if you're always going to convert point percent of the people on the call or whatever it might be then if you've got thousands of people on the call then perhaps it becomes worth your while I think the bottom line with this one George is there's so many things that you could do that would work better mostly like start a YouTube channel start a podcast allow people to get to know you that way over the next year or so and I think you'll find your sales are converting better would you agree it works better and it feels better to both parties Right then, our fourth point, which I love, by the way, George, I did not see this one coming. SEO. Do we have to conquer, uh, understand, master and control SEO in order for our businesses to work? So there's that typical idea. I think it's unfortunately way too out there that, well, if you're going to start a business, you have to work on SEO, search engine optimization right away. Otherwise, how will people find you on Google? Right. That's the line. And the, the longer you're in business, the more you're going to you'll be getting spam emails and direct messages from people who promise you to help you with your search engine optimization. And sure, you know, I, I, some of you may have been working on SEO. And if it works for you, as I've said in the beginning, if any of these things work for you and you enjoy doing them, keep going. <laughs> more power to you. Right. But for many of us, uh, some of us have worked on SEO for quite a long time. It's like, when is it going to start working? They told me, um, you know, they didn't tell me until later. Oh, six 
to 18 months later, you'll start to see results. And maybe you will, maybe you won't. And here's my take on this. I call it authentic SEO. I just, I'm, 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 uh, very simple minded. I just put authentic in front of everything I do. <laughs> so authentic SEO is simply showing up with, okay, just like you said, Helen, just bloody post it. Show up as often as you can, authentically as you can, really sharing what you believe is a service to your ideal audience member, to your ideal reader. SEO is mostly oftentimes about writing. Okay. Now I'll, I'll give you my favorite SEO hack right at the end of this, uh, this, this segment here, but I'll just say this. My, my long-term authentic SEO strategy is to show up, put as much content on your blog as possible, but also elsewhere, places like medium.com, places like LinkedIn, we can do articles. And then as you notice which of your content tends to be shared, tends to be liked, tends to be commented on most, okay, you should make more content in those topics around those those topical areas because the audience is telling you that's what they want. And what is SEO, search engine optimization, really based on? What humans want, right? What humans the want. The things that people spend time reading and the things that get clicked on most often. Exactly. So much strategy, it occurs to me, now I've been doing this a few years, is just based on trying to explain what works naturally they've gone george is doing great how can we break this down into a 10 point plan and try and package it up when actually the reason that what george is doing is great is because of the the authenticity to it the naturalness the intuitive way in which you're trying you know you're trying to connect with your your right people uh and then when you start to try and pick it apart and write a book about it then it you know then it becomes something that's not authentic to you that's not to say that guides can't be helpful we would be out of a job if you if you couldn't guide people but you know but don't forget that what all all a strategy is is trying to explain something that could happen really naturally <laughs> anyway. said, yeah and it's like the seo part of it um, I do actually, I've, I've looked a lot into SEO, I've studied it, and I ended up teaching, taught a class called Authentic SEO. So ultimately, what, that step one is like showing up, exploring your, your ideas, and, and step two is noticing what's working, what, what's getting comments, what's getting shared, what's getting likes. And then step three, if you want to really go into SEO then, is to look at the data, the metrics, like for example on you know Google Search Console or on Google Analytics and go oh okay these are the terms that people are using to find my website and which pages are they going to which pages are they landing on <clears throat> and what's your what's the pages that has the lowest bounce rate right these kinds of terms you'll learn it's like oh which pages do they not do they not leave your website they go on and read other parts of your website the the metrics step 3 is what then guides you it's really what informs the intuition in the first place. You go, oh yeah, people like that. Well, I, I, I knew that. Or it's like, oh, I, I'm surprised that people like this. Oh, that's good. Then it informs, you know, step four, your strategy to say, well, let me make more content like that. Let me create more web pages like that. And the last thing I'll say about, about SEO, I promise you this, my favorite hack, so-called. The easiest way to do SEO, and this is, this works in the short term as well, is to make more YouTube videos. Now, you might not have expected me to say this. Oh, yes, I know. George, last time we spoke, you, I'm still not doing any YouTube. Oh, my God. I know. I mean, you, and also, I mean, if I was starting again today from scratch, YouTube is a, still a yeah, great platform. It's a great platform. It? It, it, it does take some patience. But the thing is, if you upload YouTube videos, if you upload as many as you can, every single video you upload, the title of the YouTube video is essentially a massive signal to the to at least google search engine but not just google other search engines like youtube videos as well i mean notice when you google various things oftentimes they will say hey do you, do you want to watch this youtube video right and i have found essentially when i think of seo i don't think oh just my website you got to think seo more broadly so that people discovering you whether it's on your website or on medium.com or on linkedin or on youtube and youtube is the most friendly with for the google search engine to be found and the last thing i'll say is you know a lot of people do seo uh, effectively for local services and i do agree about that local seo does really make a difference if you if you're trying if you're like one of the few you know this kind of service provider in this location 
it does help to work with a local SEO company agency to like do some things to tweak that. So I do agree on that. But a lot of us kind of work online and therefore the kinds of strategies you and I are talking about, Helen, work a lot better. I would agree. Anecdotally, the people who I've, uh, you know, connected with who've benefited most from doing work on the SEO will have will be a, a local florist or an interior designer who works in a certain geographical area. And you really want to be discovered by people in a very specific space. Um, people perhaps with retail websites that might be more worth investing in. Uh, it's a big relief for me that you brought this one up because I've been kind of beating myself up a bit that I don't I haven't grappled with the SEO on my website yet. And actually, to be fair to my website designer, and we will talk more about websites in a moment, but to be fair to my website designer, again, it goes back to the, he's always said to me, Helen, you know, people aren't really googling for what you offer they they are they want to work with you because they've kind of got to know you a little bit it's not like i'm selling chocolate brownies that i can gift to you know my mother-in-law or whatever it is it's people tend to uh work with me after being connected with me for a period of time and so seo is a a bit less of a factor so it's thinking about really and all these points we're making it's just thinking does this really matter to you is this really worth you investing time and money in or would actually you be better using your energy elsewhere yeah yeah i mean and the point you make about how people get to know you and then before they work with you, it's actually a good thing because they have vetted you and and essentially you have vetted them through your content it's like if you're not if you're not gonna if you're not gonna really like my personality or the way i think or talk or whatever the more you like that the more we're going to probably work well together right the more they're going to be open to your advice and actually implementing the, the more they look forward to seeing you and working with your programs and things so it's actually you know a lot of times seo brings a lot of well it's, it's that's what a big pile of strangers right and if, if do you really want a bunch of strangers you know some people say yes i would love lots of strangers buying my thing but it's like over time as you know helen and i have been in business a long time we actually realized no we actually especially those of us who are small businesses and service providers we 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 want people to have vetted us for a while and we vetted them for a while and that becomes really enjoyable work with ideal clients so you want it happy relationships don't yes. rush long term too yeah don't rush it um okay this is a good one too. George, we all have to be very concise, super short, because people don't have time to read anything anymore. Is that true or false? Well, Helen, you and I both prove this point wrong, right? Like, I mean, we both disprove this point, which is you and I both have quite long series of writings on Instagram, Instagram, it's supposed to be instant, instant hit of a pretty picture, you know, or a, a, a meme or like an inspirational quote and you just keep scrolling. Well, Helen, what do you think about that? <laughs> I must say the longer I was just looking through my Instagram from 2017, earlier this afternoon, actually, when I used to faff around taking photographs it was a waste of time certainly the more myself the more I write on Instagram the more I chat at length on a podcast the better the relationships become with my uh, my audience members like I'm not I'm not really a quick hit kind of a person that's that's not who that's not if that's the experience you're looking for then I'm probably not the right person for you um, and certainly I mean I find increasingly in my life George I am looking for meatier things that I can read a bit longer that something d- touches me in any way at all you know it's just I'm looking I'm actually seeking that now um and also you have different types of customer I would say in terms of you know that I, I would say although my customers you know we all tend to get on well and they get on well with one another I'm sure you find that with your students as well but there, there are different types and some people want to read everything about a product before they buy it and some people don't at all. So being able to offer more can be really important to certain customers and clients. What's interesting is even the, the customer who don't want to read a lot, it still, in my experience, it feels settling that there's a lot of information there just in case they need it. <laughs> okay. So, you know, and of course, if it's formatted well, then it's like, okay, they can glance through it. Okay, we're talking about a sales page here. And actually, even from the mainstream world of copywriting, it's long been known that the longer a sales page, the better it tends to convert. It's the strangest thing. Oh, really? I've never heard that, actually. But yeah, certainly my sales pages are very long and people read read them. 
people read them or at least they glance through them and go oh okay they, they you know helen seems to have addressed a lot of things here it seems like she's thought well about this she's thought a long time about this right but which is which is the truth it's like the longer a sales page the more a business has been thinking about well it's really for this type of person or it's really for this type of situation that's why they're able to write so much about it if it's like well this is for everybody on in any situation then that's literally all you have to say and people go really well but my situation is unique right but but even when it comes to content right Let, let's talk about let's set aside the sales page thing and let's talk about what well, instagram posts or um you know blog posts or whatever it's like oh you got to be concise people don't want to read well no that's uh, i know when i've come across a topic that i'm fascinated by i read I'm like, oh my gosh, I want more. In fact, it's like, it's like, oh, that's, that's the end of the article. I, I, I wanted more about this, right? So no, no, no. When people are fascinated by something and when your ideal client, your ideal audience is by definition fascinated by the kind of work you do, they want to read more. Now we balance that with good formatting, you know, making sure it's not one giant long block of text, right? But it's like, you know, Instagram, right? You, you and I both do this. We have carousel posts where it's like we break up a lot of text into a series of, you know, slides, right? Or if we, if we have a caption, hopefully we do short, shorter paragraphs. So it's a little easier to, to work through. So, so yes, it's okay to write a lot. We just have to format it in a easier to digest way. And I would really try. And if you, it's very, I find it very hard to explain this, but if you could really, really try hard to find something you care about to write about or you know and then you know it's not about there's no one size fits all approach to uh, how how long should my piece of content be how long should my blog post be and we're not saying the longer the better we're just saying if you've got something good to say if you've got a personal story to share or a lesson you've learned or an observation that might resonate with other people they will read a lot about it yes yeah, absolutely. You know, and you're you're um, you're you know, satisfying their wants is what you're doing, and you're you're also satisfying your want to explore that particular topic. So, do this, and then notice. Right? I always say, you know, post experiment with lots of different types of content, and notice which ones people comment on more. And you'll notice that it's not always the short ones; it's oftentimes the long ones. And but which long ones? It's not. It's not. We're not saying. Long means there, you'll get more engagement, but we, you have to also notice which topics, the way you frame the topic, the kinds of stories you're telling. Take note of that and then let that train your intuition about what additional content to create. I love the notion of exploring. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. it you, you'll find it so much more satisfying if you're... I mean, sometimes it can make you feel a bit nervous when you, you explore something new with your audience, but um, it, it's always really interesting to you know to, to see like you say see what gets people going and see what works okay this is a really good topic to get into the next one and you caveated it in your email george by saying now i know you you kind of do this helen but we're going to talk about it anyway and i actually i have quite i have a lot to say about this so the next thing that you can feel free to ignore next marketing thing you can feel free to ignore is that you need to have a gorgeous website why do you not need to have a gorgeous website, George? <laughs> well, like I said, you know, I, I went to your website. I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> this is this is this is a well well designed. I have things to say about that, but I'm going to let you speak first and explain why perhaps not everybody needs to spend a lot of time and money on their website or even have one at all potentially. I have had thousands of students over the last 14 years of teaching business and marketing and and you know hundreds of clients and i've noticed something that just takes my clients and students so much time unnecessary time and energy and money is that they're spending the first three months six months a year sometimes longer making their perfect website before they're ready to launch please don't do this or you know if you've done this sorry um, that we didn't talk earlier so true but i'm, I'm jumping in before I'm, i really should but you know it's also people almost use it as a little comfort blanket oh, thing it's like yeah. oh my website's not quite ready yet so i'm not good to go i'm not i'm not good to launch i'm not i'm not ready to tell people that i offer this yet because you know the website's taking a bit longer that is and such it's a good like, point it's not it's the worst excuse ever. 
Yeah, and it's it's also this fantasy that if I just develop the great enough website, if it's if it's beautiful enough, it's just resonant. The copy is great, the graphics are great, the the look and feel, everything is great. Then, oh my gosh, marketing would be so easy, right? The next thing I then got to work on is getting traffic to my website, SEO. Right? That's like it's like wrong thing after wrong thing. After, it's like, but but I want you to I want you to imagine this, not imagine this. I want you to think about: Have you known any service provider? Who's had really good business, right? Like they, they've got lots of clients and maybe they even have a waiting list who barely have an online presence. I do. I've known plenty of people and not just, and maybe they even have a social media presence. Maybe they post content, but their website is like bare bones, almost nothing. And I always say, you know, the simplest way to make a gorgeous looking website is to go minimal. <laughs> The more, because minimal means you have less design features and you have less things to fill with copy and things like that. But it's like, it's like I have known plenty of waiting list service people with a waiting list who have a gorgeous, amazing business who have barely an, a website, you know, myself included in the early years, because it was through a lot of word of mouth and through, you know, maybe a presentation here or through talking to this connection here or whatever. And it's like, and, and yes, of course, there are, and also on the flip side, I have known so many people who have amazing looking websites. And when I talk to them privately, I'm shocked to find that they have barely any business, any clients. And maybe some of you are like, <laughs> I do have a great looking website. Thank you, Ian at Feelgood, who has built it for me and tweaked over the years. Um, I do. It's a great looking website. However, I would openly say I have spent too much time and money on my website. That is a learning I would definitely pass on to other people. Um, and my favorite kind of website these days that I see is one that is almost just a landing page that captures people's email addresses. Like, would you like to get my newsletter, sign up there, and that's the job is done. Those are, those are kind of my favorite types of websites that I see now. Maybe a little bit about you and that's all you need, but you know, one page, two page, three page websites, that, I mean, that is, you're good to go if that's what you've got. I, I, I have a blog post and video called maybe you just need a one-page website so folks can look it up, um, Google it, or go to YouTube. And uh, yeah, I, I, I caught one of my, um, you know, somebody who was in one of my programs like, oh, okay, can I, can I please showcase this? Because it's like, that's all you need to begin. And that's all, not just begin, probably to get your first, you know, 10, 20, 30 clients. That's all you need, right? And then from there, that maybe there's a word of mouth engine that continues, especially with content marketing and things like that. But it's like um, people don't, people they, people have this fantasy or this this idea, this illusion that, okay, the ideal customer is going to come to my website and they don't love the website and go, this is a work of art, they're going to move on. No, that, that's not what, your ideal client resonates with your energy signature. And when, and even if the website is terrible, they forgive you quickly because they resonate with your energy signature. They will keep looking, go, oh, there's not inf enough information here. So, oh, it's like, it's not, no, it's an okay design. It's, it's very scrappy. Let's go, let's keep looking to see if they're, they're trying to look for things to, to prove to themselves that you are credible because they resonate with your energy signature. They want your service. That's by definition your ideal client. It probably, it probably just needs to do one job of like, how can I take the next step? How can I contact you? Or so, you know, it may just need to have your email address on it. You know, it might, that might be all the only job your website needs to do. But you can also, you can have a one page website, you can have a zero page website, and you can start your Instagram and you can have a landing page through MailChimp and start to capture people's email addresses so you can keep in touch with them. You do not need to spend thousands of pounds and months painfully putting together a website. I mean, if that is the one takeaway, if people take away from this episode, I would love it to be that. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. I really would. Okay. Use lead magnets, George. You don't think we need to use lead magnets. I like a lead magnet. We'll come on to that more in a minute. You tell me why you don't think people need them. Yeah, I um, used to have one. My lead magnet used to be um, a live webinar and a lot of people do that and and then it ended up being a pre-recorded webinar and uh, and I ended up building a list of more than 10,000 email subscribers most of whom couldn't care less really about my my journey or my energy signature they or, or you know they just wanted that freebie and so 
just based on my own experience, not just my own, but I've also talked to lots of colleagues and had lots of clients. And it's like, I've seen so many people with um, lead magnets that have generated a large list. Sure, lead magnets do generate a list more quickly. And yet, depending on the lead magnet, it's like, are you really, and a lot of people, I mean, myself included, how many of us have put our email address in, downloaded something, and then never looked at it. <laughs> and then, and then wonder why am I getting, keep getting emails from this person? Cause they forgot or they didn't really want to be on the email newsletter. So long story short, I'll just say what I do as an alternative is I simply have an email newsletter and it's not even a pop up or anything. You go to my website and you'll see it. It's not difficult to find, but if people really resonate with my energy signature, they actually want, I think of my email newsletter as a service of convenience to my ideal reader. It's like, no, I, I want to make sure I don't miss George's content or offers. I want to sign up. And it's like, and, and therefore, not surprisingly, I have my open rate is over 50%, which is almost unheard of in my industry for an email list of thousands of people over 50%. So I, whatever I'm doing has been working for years. So that's, that's why I teach it. That's why I teach it. Yeah. I agree. I, 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 we, we largely agree. So a, a lead magnet in this sense is we're talking about something that you can tend to download from a person's website for free. Of course, it's not for free. You're exchanging it for your email address, which is certainly worth something. Um, and um, you can, it, you know, it might be a list or, or you know, the, the kind of lead magnets I have on my um, website are um, uh, sort of marketing email templates. I've got some chat GPT prompts on there now. Do go and get them if you'd like them. And I find it like a nice little other way to build my list gently. But my main lead magnet, and you see that this is, I would call it a lead magnet. My main lead magnet is my email newsletter. And that's probably by far my single most effective piece of content marketing that I do is sending out my email newsletter. So I think you can think of lead magnets just as in what's your offer for your person to take the next step with you, to sign up to your email list, to keep that little bit closer. So having some kind of offer, I think, in order to get people to join your list is a good idea. Yeah, and I like, like with all these things, if you find it to be working well, keep going. Now, the thing I would say about Lead Magnet is if you can possibly take notice of the people who do join your list through an e- through lead magnet. If you can follow the journey a little bit in terms of like, mm, is there a difference in terms of open rate or buy rate down the road? Um, <clears throat> because the thing is, building a larger and larger email list is not necessarily a good thing. People go, wait, 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 wait. of course a larger email. Well, as your open rate goes down, so does your deliverability rate. And which means like you, you, you end up with a large list but actually few people are reading it, which means you pay more costs for the email service provider, et cetera. I, like I said, I used to have a list of, you know, well over 10,000 people and my open rate was like 15 to 20%. And now I have an email list of over 5,000 people. My open rate is 50%. Which list is better? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, oh, you know, and my click rate is really high too. So, so that's all. Just beware of what the result is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I concur again. I, as an experiment, I ran a Facebook ads campaign a couple of years ago, offering a free video lead magnet, and I, I sure did get some new people on my email list. But those guys were not really interested at all in what I was offering. They weren't interested in me or a very small proportion of them. They just wanted the free thing and then they left the list again. And there was a really, there was a huge drop off rate in the number of signups and then unsubscribes. And I just thought this this is not the way, this is not the best way for me to find people. Uh, And I think that's great advice. Yeah, it's like how you market your lead magnet makes a big difference too, like the way you've you've noticed it. Yeah, yeah. But also, and it's a bit like the, when am I gonna finish my website and and when am I gonna nail SEO? Like I've also, people also use this as a bit of a kind of reason not to get going with something. I, you know, I haven't finished my lead magnet yet. I would say that a lead magnet is highly unlikely to solve all of your marketing problems. It's not gonna be the thing that brings thousands of people onto your email list. I think, you know, just, uh, they're a little accessory in my toolkit. I wouldn't say they are have ever been fundamental to you know building a list of people who want to, to buy my product. Right, last one. Do you have to use what you've described? Now, this is a great thing to think about, George, because you know what? I've never really given it enough thought. So I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to chat to you about it. 
Using charm pricing, which is, for example, 97 pounds or dollars instead of 100, 149 pounds rather than 150. The wisdom being, I think, that people prefer to round down. So in that instant of seeing a price, when they see it be 99 rather than 100, they think, oh, less than 100 pounds. Whether when it's 100, they think, oh, 100 pounds, that's expensive. You th- Now, I kind of have always priced my products this way, like at 149 or 299, because, th- because of this perceived wisdom. Now, I'm really interested to hear from you why that might not be necessary. Yeah. Now, first, I have to say the perceived wisdom has some research behind it. Uh, of course, because, you know, advertising company, I mean, notice all the, the, the big companies in the world, almost all of them, you go to a store. I mean, we grew up with this. You go to a store, a shampoo is not $10. It's $9.99 or whatever it is. You see what I mean? It's, we, we grew up with this. It's normal. It's, it's, and even like, I remember even as a kid, I was kind of entrepreneur as a kid. And I would make fun. I was like, oh yeah, um, I want to, I would wash your car, uh, for $24.97. It's, it's like, it's almost like a joke, you know, as, as a kid, I was doing it. It was kind of cute. Like, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're a grown up, you know, marketer or whatever, right? So we all grew up with this. There's research behind it. I, it's, it's, it is, as far as I can tell, true that you actually make more sales using charm pricing or it's also called psychological pricing than round numbers of 110. 50, you know, 20 or whatever. Okay, 25 or whatever. So why is it that I am consciously going against my own economic benefit, actually, of I know I do make fewer sales when I round up my round my prices to whatever it is. Now, now okay, so I'll say that. So we'll use like 150, right? Or a thousand dollars or whatever instead of 997 or 147 or 145 or whatever. Because I, <laughs> frankly, I find it to be kind of cheesy. I'm like, you know, and, and maybe because I was like making fun of it as a kid. I because it's another, because it's another trick. Yeah. It's another trick. Yeah. That, that's where you're coming from. It's Let's another stop trick, with the but tricks. you know, yeah. I, it's a gray area because everyone is used to it. So it's like people don't actually pay attention to it unless you brought, you bring their attention to it. So Helen, I actually don't, I'm not going to take a strong stance on this. Um, you know, it's like my friends use it, you know, my, my clients, some, some of them use it and I'm not going to like, you're a bad person. No, no. It's like everyone's used to it. They don't, it, it, it's actually part of my brand because I'm, I'm talking about authentic marketing and all that. So, so it's actually part of my, you could say shtick to have to bring this kind of stuff up, right? Because it's, you could say maybe long term it's to my economic benefit or whatever. Short term, certainly not because I do notice. But, um, but yeah, it's, I love, I love considering it because it is, it's so ingrained in pricing structures of all kinds that you just automatically do it. Whether that cancels out the meaningfulness of it, I don't know. Um, I wonder, I'm now wondering whether I might just round a, a product up this year and just see, kind of see, see whether it makes any difference at all. I sort of suspect it wouldn't make too much difference. I don't know. You feel like it does though. Okay. I haven't personally split tested. Okay, 147, 150 and see what happens. Maybe I did in the past, but I know from research, when I looked into the more, more academic research, it did make a difference, which is why advertising or big companies continue doing it. Otherwise they wouldn't do it, right? Because of profit, shareholder value, et cetera. So Helen, I would say that if it does make, uh, you know, if it does depress your sales a little bit, you might want to come out and talk about this because it's true. You know, what we're talking about is true. It does, what it does is it short circuits the buyer's decision-making process so that they're not considering it as much. And also because it's so widespread, people are used to it. It almost, is, it almost feels comfortable. It almost feels more comfortable to look at 97 or 99 or 99, 95 instead of 10, 100 or something like that. So it does feel more comfortable to the, to the buyer. And I'm calling it out as an advertising trick. And lastly, I'll say this. There is another way of taking it, which is some people have like personal favorite numbers or spiritual numbers. Like for example, for me, 111 is long for a long time has been a spiritual number. Like I've somehow resonate with it. I see the number and I'm like, it's to me, I know I'm probably crazy, but to me it's, it's, I just take it as some kind of like an angel tap or something, something woo woo like that. That makes me feel good. I don't care. I don't know if it's true or not, but that makes me feel good when I see it. So sometimes I do use more kind of spiritual numbers or favorite numbers. And I think that's, that's, that's okay too. 
Um, but it's not meant to somehow short circuit people's decision making or something. It's just a number that I feel good about it. And we, if we feel, if they feel good about it, great. And, and I hope they consider the, the product, which brings me to like one more thing I'll have to say, which wasn't on the agenda, which is I actually, funny enough, I don't try, I don't sell hard. I mean, as you might imagine by now. In other words, I, I almost, it's funny to say this. I almost try to make it hard for people to buy from me. And I'm not trying to self-sabotage, but what I am trying to, when I sell, when I, when I teach, I'm passionate. As you can tell, I'm, I, I try to persuade what I believe is right for them, for the world, for us, for everybody. But when I sell, I try to tone way down my persuasion and try to tone way down the charm. And, um, so it's, you know. But is this because you want people to be I sure, want, sure, I sure, want sure, people sure? to i want to eliminate buyer's remorse as much as possible let's put it that way because i've noticed that in the long term my marketing gets easier it's interesting the more of a true fan audience i have the more i can tone it down with my selling and the more people buy just naturally it's really amazing so that's what because because i'm interested though I'm interested with when you say tone it down, do you mean in terms of just the language and the style you're using or in terms of frequency of posting around selling, all of selling it, all something? All of the above. And, and, and at the bottom line, I tone down my expectations and my energy around selling. Okay, when I, okay so this, there's a difference. I sell frequently. So there's the frequency of it, there's the quantity, and then there's the intensity of the selling itself. I guess I've toned down the intensity, but I, but I sell frequently. By frequently, I mean like once a month, you're going to see me selling something, you know, at, at least like once a month. Oh, here's a new course or here's a course I taught in the past that, you know, you might want to check it out. So I, I encourage everybody to sell frequently, but to tone down the intensity of selling. And I think that's better for our own kind of energy, energy uh, system. And it's also better for the, for the buyer's energy system. And, I'll have to say, I'll have to admit, in the short term, it, it's not as good for sale. You don't get, you don't make it to many sales. Well, because, yeah, it's like, you tone, turn up the intensity. Of course, people are going to get mesmerized and going to get bought in. And, it, but also we get more tired. <laughs> I find. I know. And there's, there, there's such a lot. I don't know if you've noticed it, George. You must have done. There's an awful lot online about burnout through launching and all the messaging we have around launching and you've got to you know there. when you're in a launch period you've got to do all the things I mean that's this is a whole nother episode but you know you've got to throw three Instagram posts out there every day you've got to be emailing Only? people daily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah or maybe six or eight you know to the point where people are like you can't deliver the thing that you've sold because you're done by the time you know by the time you've sold it yes. you are done you know the, people yes. are not going to get the best of you after that so i say this i mean this is uh counterintuitive or this is i think this is deep truth it's like we 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 have a choice with our energy investment as a business owner the more energy we give into marketing the less energy we have for clients and customers this is really true. And, and I, Helen, 14 years, I've been there. The first half of my business was like high intensity selling webinars. I was so good at converting on webinars and like tens of thousands of $75,000 webinar conversion was one webinar, one hour, $75,000 hour. Not too bad. But then I was exhausted. I, I didn't want to keep going. I wanted, but now I found a different way. The last seven years, I found a different way. And I'm like, I can do this for the next 70 years. I mean, this is so much more fun, so much more connected, so much more enjoyable. And I'm doing great business too. And so it's like long-term view is hard for most, most of us, but it's like the more we can, the more we can lean into that. I believe the more we enjoy it and the more our business is great for the long term. So many of these things we've been talking about to me are, are, or the mistake in a lot of it is so much around lack of patience, being in a rush being in such a rush to take money out of people's pockets. And I understand it can come from a place of need, of needing something to work, but but I, I truly believe in the sustainable model. I really do for, in all kinds of ways. Now, again, I think it's another episode, George, and I'd almost like to put that invite out there right now, but we've spoken a lot about advice that you can feel free to ignore going forward. And I hope we've taken a load off of people's shoulders in this episode, but, Let's just do one thing that actually people can't ignore when it comes to marketing advice. What do you think really, if you would like your marketing to work, what do you have to do in all honesty? 
All right, I'll, I'll do two very quick things. I want to be respectful of your time. One is for the people who, well, we, we've, we've talked about the long term. It's like you cannot ignore the value of a true fan audience. Um, I've written an article, well, not just me. Kevin Kelly was the originator of 1,000 True Fans. If you've never read that article, please do read it. That's like the, the grandfather of this, this theory. Quality, quantity, and, and I've written my own version of True Fan, but it's like truly, now that I've been here for 14 years, my marketing and business has gotten easier and easier by the year, Helen. And, and, and my income has, gratefully, has kept going up every year. Not that it should go up forever, but it has actually gone up every year as I've gotten lighter about my work and about my marketing and more heartfelt, you know, about it. So true fan really is a thing. And for the short term though, I know for some of us like, but I need to pay the rent next month kind of thing. I'll say the short term, you cannot ignore this marketing advice. The more you connect one to one with potential customers and clients, the more, the more you actually care and talk with them and show, demonstrate your care, the more you're going to make money quickly, you know, and, and therefore you can't talk to a lot of people, but it's like you, you care for, you care as deeply as you can for each person. And if you, if you do not ignore that, you actually will make money more quickly. Real relationship building, like real relationship building, and kind of go and go, going into that with no hope or expectation. Really, it's it's not about what you can get back from this chat in your DMs or replying to someone's email or the comment under your blog post. You know, really be interested, be grateful for their feedback, answer their questions without hope or expectation of it leading anywhere. And that is, in the long term, how you will find your good customers. Fantastic. What a great conversation. I'm so grateful for it. Thank you, George. Yeah. Thank you for hosting this. This has been great. And, and you know, I'm so glad you kind of uh, forced me to like write up a list. I said, oh, that's a good topic. I haven't really thought of it in this way before. So thank you for, for inviting this. Yeah, really cool. We'll talk again. Thank you so much. Wow. That was a long episode to start the series with. Didn't we say somewhere in there? that people will listen to and read longer conversations if they're worth it. I am still a dedicated believer in and lover of the 30 minute podcast though, but some things are too good to edit and I wanted to get every single one of George's points in. He'd emailed me before and said, just pick some of these. And I was like, no, let's talk about every single one. It kind of sets the tone for the rest of the series. I've got such a bloody lovely lineup of good experienced guests coming your way. Stay with us and tell your friends. Shares of this show on social media are an important way for people to find out about these conversations. So if you believe your friends would like to hear this, then tell them. And thank you always for listening. It'd be lonely without you. Much love. We're back soon. Goodbye for now. Thank you.